Blog Talk Radio. Tonight's episode of Ready to Unload with Cal and Sam Pete is sponsored by Blue Haven NYC in Greenwich Village, New York City's sports bar for grown-ups. Go to www.bluehavennyc.com for details. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We're tonight's entertainment. Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. Johnny and the mothers are playing something at the Savoy in Vermont tonight. Berman's gonna kill my brother at the Savoy Theater tonight. I didn't say that. No, but I know this grapevine. Why would I put it there? Kindness? 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 You stole it! He stole it! We have top men working on it right now. Who? Welcome to Ready to Unload with Cal and Sam Pete, New York Sports Talk podcast, coming to you live from Comac, New York, Bayside, New York, and Freehold, New Jersey. It is Wednesday night. It is 10 o'clock. It is time for Ready to Unload with Cal and Sam Pete, episode number 151. And here we are. We're talking New York sports nice. Welcome to the podcast. No big deal. I am one of your hosts, Kim Carnes. I am awfully, awfully raspy tonight. Awfully raspy. I'm also uh, Bonnie Tyler, the author, wherever you want to go. I am uh, unnecessarily sultry this evening. I'm uh, struggling a bit with my voice, but I'm going to power through because I'm a professional and I'll rise above it. That's what I do. I want larger bread. Uh, We have a fantastic show for you tonight. We are going to be joined by WFAN. Jets beat reporter Chris Lopresti, otherwise known as CeeLo, back when he was on Boomer and Carton and an intern at WFAN. He is now the Jets beat guy. He is a fantastic, I will say this, he is a fantastic Jets reporter. He is doing a great job in his first season. He's even-handed. He is not given to sensationalism. He's a kid, uh, and he has agreed to come on uh, and talk to us tonight. So we're going to talk about the Jets. We're going to talk about the NFL. We're going to talk about being on the Jets beat. We're going to talk about uh, what it's like to be a Jet reporter. Does he cash in on the sensationalism? What does he think of Rex Ryan's tattoo? We're not going to talk about that. And all sorts of other stuff. And then, of course, he is Italian, completing, completing our, <laughs> our trifecta of Italian Jet beat reporters. Uh, is it a trifecta? I think that's three. We've only had two. Anyway, we've had Joe Caparoso from Turn on the Jets on a number of times. Seems like we have a lot of guineas on the show. That's all I'm saying. And I mean guinea in a loving way. Oh, could I say guinea? I just did. You can't? If What if you're calling yourself one? No good? Anyway, we might talk to about sauce. Saw- <laughs> That's PJ's attempt to bail me out. 
So welcome to the program. And of course, we'll have a fun load later on with Bishop Pop Culture PJ. He hates that name. So anyway, it's uh, number 151. It's uh, Wednesday, October the 23rd, I believe, 2013. Let's do this. Let's bring in the co-host, whose voice is clearly not as ridiculous as mine. Kel. Mr. Wow, go easy on the button. Wow. Oh, my. Yep. He's dancing his way in here. I am Brenda Vaccaro. <laughs> he is Mr. Brian Calneva. Calpino. Caliente. Hi, Brian. Hi. Grease is the word, my friend. It's like, it's like so good that you're here, Cal. So weird. It's like so weird that you're on the show. <laughs> wow. Bishop. Bishop production. <laughs> Holy mackerel. He, um, didn't, he didn't mix it together, though, this time. I thought he might have done another montage. Or, uh, oh, that's coming. Some sort. Yeah. How are you, buddy? How, how are you doing? Edit. I'm sorry? Edit. Wasn't it, was, it was an edit. Oh, I see. An edit. Oh, I'm sorry. It was the mix? beginning of the song with the end of the song. It was an edit. So, yes. you just, so you edited out the middle of the song. The middle of the song. So you provided the way, us with the two Grease, pieces Grease of bread. Is, is, is a movie about the 50s. So they got Frankie Valli, who's a singer from the 60s, and he did a disco song as the theme. Yeah, that's, Which is it's all over the, the place. The music of the 70s. It makes no sense. It really is. And then they, re- and then they did Grease 2 in the 80s. Right. Don't we, pretend that, don't we pretend that Grease 2 didn't and happen? John Travolta had his career renaissance in the 90s. <laughs> and Michelle now Pfeiffer... Now you understand was, everything. Michelle I, Pfeiffer was still hot in the aughts. And, and Adrian, Adrian's Med had no career by 2010. Hot in the aughts I, sounds like a show. Hot in the aughts. <laughs> Is that a new... Uh, that's, the new that's the new Michelle Pfeiffer vehicle. CW show? Yep, Hot in the Aughts. With Michelle Pfeiffer, Valerie Bertinelli, Wendy Malick, and... Uh, wow. well, I want to watch else? this. What do you, oh. Keep going. Keep pitching. <laughs> who else can we throw in this show? Alyssa Milano. Who else can we throw in this show? I'll Alyssa Milano. Tia Leone. Tia Leone. Speaking of, speaking of raspy, manly voices... Am I, sounding like, am I sounding like Tia Leone tonight? More like Margot Kidder. Oh, that's true. How that dare, was, that's, how, how that's dare you? How dare you? How dare you? Well, because you were, you were sucking in your cheeks, so you looked you look like a little. Can I get another cigarette clock? <laughs> I don't, sadly, I don't know any of Margot Kidder's lines from Superman. Isn't that weird? You've got me. Who's got you? Oh, that, besides that one. Well, well done. So, Steve, what's with the voice tonight? What happened to you? Why don't you tell everybody, Cal? You know darn well why I don't have a voice, my friend. Don't play coy. Right, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna, <laughs> you're the one without the voice, so I'm asking you, tell everybody right. why you don't have the please, voice. Please, please. <laughs> Continue. This, this really long story to tell everybody why you have no voice. You've got a little bit left. Just, just waste it all right now. No. Our buddy Steve, Sam Pete, made his annual pilgrimage to MetLife Stadium... This year, once a year, 
after how and we've heard the story how many years of season tickets how many years of season tickets you know i don't care for your tone no what is my not one, not one bit i don't care for the way you're introducing this story i don't care he for your tells tone the story bit. every year we got to hear the story about the tickets suddenly we're an old married couple now no it it's look everybody we Tell know the story how many uh, years Steve, how many years did you have season tickets? Nineteen. Nineteen years. Nineteen. Every years. year he adds a year. <laughs> when we started the show, it was ten years. I used to go barefoot to the games, no shoes. Uphill both ways. Right. Um, so after nineteen years, stopped with the season tickets, and then now goes to one game a year. And one game. For the most part, in the last few years, that one game each year has been pretty successful am i right absolutely right we went to the san diego game a couple of years ago that was a good one yes last year was um who did they not, play it was not it was, good it was on the eve of hurricane sandy correct sandy last, hit that 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 night that wasn't exactly great but then this year you went this sunday to the new england patriots game i sure did and you felt really good going into it too i did you were really excited about it. You were looking forward to it. You were very optimistic. And then watching the game on TV and knowing that you were there, and, and you were sending us messages back and forth, it was, it was, I felt good knowing that you were at that game. It was, that was, if there was one game for you to go to this year, that was probably the game to go to. If you see one game this year, make it E.T. <laughs> make it Cats. If you go to one play. No, you're going, you went to the Jet Patriot game. I went to a, a great game. And here's the weird thing. If you go back uh, in the annals, the annals, the, uh, you go back in the history of the show, you'll see that um, my, my voice for the show after the Charger game from two years ago, gone. Well, that was both of us were at that game, so that was right. just a complete disaster. <laughs> so that show on Thursday night was about eight minutes long, and it was like, here's sports. <laughs> We, we were both Harvey Firestein, and it was great. I, I just want to talk about sports. Is that so wrong? Um, and then last year, the show was or the uh, game was stinky. So and the sh- we, we were in fine voice for that show. Well, no, there was no show after that because of Hurricane Sandy. Because of Hurricane Sandy, that's right. So we were preempted. Oh, that's right. You you were without power for what, like two weeks? Two weeks, yeah. Two weeks. Good thing for Mike Francesa. Got, give, got, yeah. got the power back. For got the power back for us. Thanks, Mike. Um, so, but I had no voice or, uh, two years ago. Last year, plenty of voice. Could have sang the national anthem the day after that game. In fact, I did. Oddly. I thought that was weird. <laughs> I thought that was weird. No need for that. Um, but yes, I was there on Sunday. My voice is uh, harsh. We're going to battle through. We're going to fight it. How was the crowd on Sunday? The crowd was... Well, look... You know, Other than we find out, because, you know, it can never just be the Jets win ever anymore, it seems. Um, look, I've been saying this for a really long time, and we're going to get to Chris Lopresti. He's going to join us in just a second, WFAN's Jets beat writer. Um, I've been saying this for a long time, Cal, Jet fans uh, that go to games, go to the Jet game for three reasons, to drink, to drink, and then a distant third is to watch a football game. And it's unfortunate. Um, and I'm, I don't mean to generalize, but and, – and that's not to pretend that I didn't have a couple of beers on Sunday. I did. But I was there to watch a football game, you know, having some beers and 
sort of carousing uh, was secondary. And it's long been a problem for Jets fans. Like I said, 19 years, we saw it every week. So there was a lot of that at this particular game. Um, also, a lot of Patriot fans who, really? were, who were ornery. Um, well, they don't feel, like to lose. Well, that and they're feeling their oats with the Red Sox in the World Series, um, you know, the night before. So, you know, you had a lot of, like, entitled-feeling Patriot fans. Okay. Um, but we've talked about – how many times have we talked about it on the show, Bri? You, you and I have seen the Jets in different stadiums. I've seen them in a number of different stadiums. There's an etiquette and a protocol to watching your team on the road. Um, and unfortunately, when alcohol is in the mix – all bets are off. And that's, and that's for Jet fans, too. I mean, Jet well, I fans... I, and I think that's everywhere, I think yeah. we're seeing. Oh, absolutely. It's, 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 it's disgusting. It really is. Um, but, you know, what, what did I do? The first thing when we went to the Chargers game, what was the first thing I did when we sat down in the seats? You had a beer. Second thing I did when I sat down in the seats? Uh, you made nice with the people around us. That were? Charger fans. That's right. That's right. And I you did. Kind of dis- and it was good because you kind of disarmed them immediately. I just want to let them know that we're all just there to enjoy the game. That right. they're, they're not going to get a problem out of me. And I did the same thing this past Sunday with a bunch of Patriot fans. That was, that was the first thing that you did. It wasn't get a beer. I'm sorry. I, I, well, I had had several at that point. <laughs> it might have been the second thing you did when you that sat was down. The, right. That's correct. Let's bring in, let's bring in Chris. Now, let's, not, let's not keep him on hold. He's nice enough to give us our, uh, his time tonight. He is uh, the Beats reporter. Uh, the Beats? Not the Beats reporter. He's not doing the beat so much with the Go-Go's. He is the Jets beat reporter for WFAN. He's also an anchor on WFAN. He's worked his way up. Cal and I have been listening to him on the station since 2007 um, when he was an intern on the Boomer and Carton program. He is Crystal Presti uh, from WFAN. Oh. Oh, nice. Everybody gets steam Everybody gets theme music. Chris is probably on hold panicked right now. Wondering what, what am I, going, what am I doing? What, what have I got myself into? Um, <clears throat> Chris, just so you know, everybody gets theme music, man. Everybody gets theme music. Yeah, that's yeah, it's an honor. It's quite an intro. I'm not, I hope I can live up to the uh, expectations. Absolutely. You, uh, no, there are no expectations. Let's just hang out and, and BS about sports. I am, uh, I am the raspy one is Sam Pete. The other guy is Cal. Uh, first, thanks so much for taking a couple minutes to hang out with us tonight. And um, I, I would love to jump right in if you're game. Um, Absolutely. Let's, let's fire away. Cool. So I saw, you, I saw you tweet something, Chris. One of the reasons that I was really anxious to have you on is I've been sort of following your – uh, Cal and I both have, uh, uh, following your tenure here as the Jet Beat reporter, you did something very interesting when you took over the beat. You wrote that article on uh, WFAN.com about, you know, I am Crystal Presti and I'm going to be your, your Jets Beat reporter. And here's a little bit about myself and here's what I'm interested in and here's what I hope to accomplish and I hope it's a dialogue and I hope um, that, you know, we can interact together and uh, you, you sort of set out your goals. And I'm wondering, before we get into the specifics of the Jets, I'm wondering how you feel that's going so far. You know, you're about, I guess, like six months into this, uh, you know, this job. How do you feel that's going so far? 
Uh, I think it's been going pretty well. I mean, uh, it's certainly not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. It's a work in progress. I'm still getting a feel for the beat and for the fan base and whatnot. So uh, my big thing was, like you mentioned, just to try and have that interaction. And um, I think I've been much more successful doing that on Twitter than maybe on the on the fan website. And that's not a knock on the fan website. It's just my comfort level on Twitter. Is, I mean, I've been using it every day for seemingly, I can't even remember when I first, it's probably almost five years now. So um, it's just something that I've grown accustomed to. It's the most immediate way to, to communicate news and interact with people, people that I'll probably never meet in my life. And I mean, that's not a problem for me. So it's if someone takes the time to to follow and, you know, read my tweets and reply to something, whether it's a positive or a negative opinion or if they're, you know, coming at me or if they're agreeing with me, it doesn't really matter. They took the time to reach out. So as long as I uh, see it and I have some time, I'm going to at some point get back to that person with a with a response. Might not be what they want to hear. Uh, <laughs> might not be the news they wanted, good or bad. But uh, that, that, that was kind of my goal. And so far I think I've, I've done as bad as the best job that I could possibly do in, in accomplishing that. And I, I think, Chris, we as fans definitely appreciate that kind of respect coming back from somebody who is, is so close to the team because you have the access to the team that we, we don't have, and you provide us with the information that we're looking for without putting kind of a spin on it. It's, it's, it's basically it's just information that we want. And one of the other questions I had is Steve and I, of course, follow the Jets and we love football but we're also very interested in the media aspect of it and how the team is covered. And I'm just curious, since you're new to the beat, what's, what's one of the things that, that you've kind of learned in your first six months that, that maybe surprised you about, uh, about taking this job? Well, I mean, I had the benefit of, of filling in for, for Peter Schwartz, my predecessor, um, maybe one day a week for the last two years. So I did have a, some exposure to – you know, the Jets as a team, the, for the PR department, the players, the coaches, um, you know, the reporters that cover the team regularly. So it wasn't like I was walking in uh, blind and not knowing at all what to expect. I had a bit of a bit of experience there. But, yeah, it's much different this year, just being there all the time. I mean, I've basically, outside of a couple of road games, been to every practice, training camp, session, you know, game since uh, since mid-July. So it's it's sort of become my second family. Um, in terms of things that maybe surprised me, I didn't expect. I mean, look, it, it's easy for me. I'm not. I'm not here to point fingers or anything like that. Um, I, I think it's easy for me to be upbeat and um, and, uh, and objective and interested and have a lot of energy in terms of covering this team because I'm still new at it. Whereas some of the people that have been covering the team for a very long time, I mean, as with anything, uh, the, the luster kind of wears off over time, and I think. Maybe there are some people that have, I don't know, they've had bad experiences in the past, whether it be with the front office, whether it be with the PR staff, whether it just be yeah. that they're a, bit, they're a bit stale from covering the team for a while. Um, I think maybe that's where some of this, this idea comes in where the fan base feels that there are people that cover the team that work in the media that are out to get the team. Um, I don't know how true that is. I just think it, it's a little bit easier for me to bring that fresh perspective and, and to be objective and to be energetic and pumped up about it because I'm still new at it, and it's still a lot of fun for me. I hope to keep it that way for a long time, though. Yeah, you hit on it. You hit on a couple of really interesting things here, Chris. That, um, and one of the things we talk about on the show a lot and we have for four years is, as, as Cal said, is what's of interest to us is not just the teams but how they're covered because – that's a big part of the story, and it's a big part of how we consume sports, and that's changed so much over the last 
four years since we even since we started doing this show almost four years ago. And you you hit on something very interesting. I know you're one of the you have to be one of the younger guys on the jet beat. So Hello there. At this point, we had a power outage. The breaker got tripped, so we lost the show for a minute. We lost the feed, but we're in the middle of interviewing Chris Lopresti from WFAN, and I was about to ask him about being one of the younger guys on the beat. We resumed as such, so enjoy. Chris, I'm so sorry about that. We had a power outage on my end, and since I am sort of... Uh... <laughs> Smooth as silk. And I, I, this is episode number 151. That is the first time we have tripped a breaker at my house. That's so actually a pretty good streak then. Yeah, that was, that was, a good, that was, that was Ripken-esque, and then we, we fell yeah. apart there. We should be good for another four years, though. Right? Yeah, that should be good. Um, I, I, I do apologize. Let me, let, me get, let me see if we can just jump right back in. And all I was going to uh, allude to was the fact that you, you have to be one of the younger guys on the beat. We were just saying you sort of grew up on Twitter – you seem to have so much better of a handle on how to uh, on how to not only tweet about the team, but how to interact with uh, the fan base. And also, um, and then the other thing I want to ask you about that you mentioned was, you know, the guys getting sort of uh, being over it, or I think in many cases in the Jets' particular situation, because it was such a sensationalistic team, they were using it as a stepping stone or trying to use it as a stepping stone. Um, so, you know, being one of the younger guys on the beat, do you feel like that's maybe advantageous for you? Uh, well, I think it makes me unique is the best way I could say it. I mean, I don't know about advantageous. And the other thing you have to keep in mind is my, my responsibilities and my goals or my job requirements are, are still different from the the people that are the writers that are covering the team on a day-to-day basis. Yes, I'm there just as much. I'm, you know, for the most part, exposed to the same things that they are. But, you know, they have X amount of space that they have to fill pretty much on a daily basis in their publications and a lot of different avenues and angles that they need to take. Whereas for me, well, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the what's the right, what's, I'm trying to think of the right way to say this, the, the mission statement, I guess, from my bosses is, hey, anything that's big and makes news, you know, we need to be on top of it and we need to make sure we have audio for the station. So obviously there are other things that that go into what I do uh, on a daily basis, but first and foremost, my job is to make sure WFAN has great sound bites to use, whether it be during a show, whether it be during an update, and that they're also getting all the breaking news. Um, so it's, again, my responsibilities are a little bit different. So, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily tap into some of the same things that the writers do. Uh, but, again, for the most part, we're all there for the main, same main objective, and that's to cover the team. And I think having gone to school and, you know, been, been, been tutored all of this and pretty much told and learned what journalism is all about, um, you know, <laughs> I try my best to remain as objective as possible. So it's just there's different strokes for different folks. You know, that, those rules have kind of been bent a little bit as we go forward here and social media progresses and whatnot. And I certainly have my opinions, and sometimes I share them on Twitter. So I don't want to make it seem like I'm this guy who's towing the party line all the time and not giving you any sort of insight or opinions no, or thoughts on what I think. Um, but at the same time, I'm trying to make sure that, those opinions are, you know, not coming across as, oh, well, this is the be-all, end-all on what I think is the way it is, and, and or try and suggest that there are things going on behind closed doors that the team doesn't want you to see. Maybe that's the case, but it, I can't say that 
with any sort of certainty. I don't have these inside unnamed sources that you know some of the uh, the jets have been bit by a bit in the past. So uh, yeah. it's just it's just a little different. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you 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 bring up another great point, and that is obviously you have a different. I, I like the way you put it. Mission statement. Your job is is clearly different than the the newspaper beat guy who has to generate you know, articles and generate out, uh, has output to, you know, get out every day and is sort of chasing stories and angles. And, and I understand that that's going to lead to, look, they have to generate page hits. They have to sell newspapers. I mean, I, you know, we certainly get that, but I think it's something we used to joke about, uh, a lot on this show, especially in the way the Mets are covered, um, is that, you know, we sometimes wish that the people that are the beat reporters for the team had two Twitters, you know, have one Twitter that. Uh, you know, for themselves, for personal sort of opinions and basically like the snark Twitter and then just have <laughs> one that's just like just for the team, you know. And and I I certainly don't think you've been towing the company line by any means. I think you've done a really nice job of mixing your opinions on what you see, you know, that is newsworthy. And I, I think, Chris, I think just one of the big problems with this team is last year was such – and we're going to talk about the team itself, I promise – but last year was last year was such a, a debacle and a circus, uh, and and you know uh, a lot of that was the Jets' own doing, and a lot of that was manufactured for the national narrative. That I feel like a number of people on that beat saw the Jets as an opportunity, and sort of trumped up you know the the narrative this year, and and I think as the season is going on, that negative narrative is not there as much. I think they're. I think they've been struggling to put it there in certain as, in, in certain respects. Yeah, I mean, look, there's no doubt the Jets provided a lot of content with everything that went on. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, that's a nice that was way sort of, of that was sort of, sort of unavoidable. And I mean, I was there for some of that, not to the extent that I am this year. And so, my eyes are a little bit more wide open now. Uh, but I just think, I mean, look, I, it's hard for me to say whether certain individuals are trying to stir up that controversy on purpose or if it's just something that they became accustomed accustomed to covering this team, not just last year, but over the last few years since Rex Ryan arrived. Obviously, they they had some on-field success in the first few years, but you know we all know there's been plenty of uh, off-the-field or press conference or in-the-locker-room stuff that has been, has been blown up and that has sort of made national headlines. And that, for the most part, has changed this year. And that was something I noticed right from day one when John Isaac arrived and he was introduced as the new GM. Um, now, it probably wasn't as evident to me as some of the people that have been covering the team for a while because I think it is such a drastic change in how the team is operating and what sort of information is getting out, what, they're, what, what the team is willing to share with the media, what they're not, and what uh, any sort of inside sources, unnamed sources might know or might not know. It's, times have changed a little bit, so that might just have taken a little bit longer for some of the people that have been around for a while to get used to, um, whereas for me, you know, I didn't have that, that past experience to really go off of, so this has just kind of became the norm for me since, since John Idzik arrived, and you know, I have no problem with it. The team 
is not obligated to share every little piece of information with us. So, I mean, I understand that in this day and age, the fa- people are so locked in on their team that they want to know what's going on at every second of the day and they want all the answers. I do understand that. But at the same time, the team has to look out for its best interests and they can't be tipping their hand constantly because, you know, that's not going to lead to them having any sort of upper hand when dealing with other teams around the league, whether it be free agents, whether it be trade, whether it be draft time. So I certainly understand the way they're going about it. I just think it was such a change from this, the past regime that uh, it has taken people a little bit of time to get used to. But as it becomes the norm more and more with each passing day, I'm sure that will settle into a little bit more of a routine here. And I think, I think Chris, you hit on, hit on the perfect point in that whole thing, is that, uh, and I'm just speaking for Steve and I, as Jet fans, we always understood that. We always understood that it's not in the best interest of the team to let everybody know everything that's going on behind the, the closed doors. You know, we as Jet fans understand that you have to play it close to the vest sometimes. And while we want the information, we don't want the information at the expense of the team's success. Right. I think there's a fine line there. And, look, you can't paint all fans with the same brush, obviously, when, as you guys, as I was coming on earlier, you were talking about some of the knuckleheads that get themselves into trouble with alcohol on game day. But that's a whole other story. My point being, you know, on a daily basis, I get tweets from people saying, any truth to these rumors about, you know, Kyle Wilson and a third for Josh Gordon with the Cleveland trade? And I'm like, it's very possible. Right now it's just a rumor. So in order for me to substantiate that rumor, I would have to go behind closed doors and find some sort of unnamed or anonymous source to give me that tip. And then if that were to happen, that's obviously going to, to some extent, maybe maybe it plays a big role, maybe it plays a small role in sort of affecting whatever sort of trade negotiations the Jets may or may not be having. So, again, there are fans, they want that inside information because they just want it. It's, 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 everything is immediacy this day, these days with Twitter, with you know, social media, with Internet. Um, it's just people want it as, as quick as possible, and, and I certainly understand that, and, I'm a, and I fall into that category sometimes with the teams that I like and that I follow. But... Um, it, it's just, I think teams run, uh, they, run in, they run into some tricky waters and when they're going to start letting some of that stuff leak out. And obviously we saw the way the Mike Tannenbaum era ended. And, you know, I can't speak from experience because I wasn't around much, but it certainly seems that there has been a drastic change in the way the organization handles things and what gets out and what doesn't since John Isaac took over. Whether or not that lasts throughout his entire regime, you know, I have no idea. I can't predict the future. But so far, so good. And I think walking into a very difficult situation with limited cap space and some dreadful contracts, uh, he's done a pretty nice job of cleaning things up from top to bottom. And I think you're seeing the results play out on the field right now. And that's, and that's kind of what I wanted to transition to now. We, we, you spent some time with them last year a little bit, and now you're with them every day. So you talked about the change in the way that the team is operating you know, from a front office standpoint, are you seeing a change in the way the team is operating on the field? Now, we, we see Rex, Rex Ryan every week, and we listen to his press conferences, and I, don't, I, I see a change in his demeanor, but I also feel like he does have a chip on his shoulder based on the predictions of the team coming into the season. And I don't know, you, you'll, you could tell us better, has that translated to the rest of the team in the way that they're performing on the field? 
I think it has. And, uh, you know, Rex isn't going to get up in front of the podium and pound his chest the way he used to. Uh, he's going to be he's much more subtle about things. You know, he's, he still will throw out a prediction here or there or stick up for one of his players. He, the other day said he thought Antonio Cromartie was still playing at a Pro Bowl level this year. That was before the, uh, the game against the Pats, second game on Sunday. So, mm. you know, some people will look at the way Cromartie's playing this year and you might scratch your head when you hear that. But that's Rex Ryan. Uh, he's loyal to a fault sometimes. He's confident in his players. He believes in them. And there's no question that there's a chip on his shoulder. And, and we know for a fact that that's something that's been played up, again, behind closed doors in the locker room. So he's not standing in front of the podium, in front of the TV cameras, telling all the world you know, that, oh, everyone's crazy. They had us 32nd. They don't know what they're talking about. Uh, he has made subtle references to it to suggest that he doesn't maybe agree with that, but in a much more even-keeled manner than we're used to seeing from him. Behind closed doors, I'm sure it's much different because we've heard the players after certain wins talk about how they felt wronged by that. So I think that they are letting the results speak for themselves a little bit more. Instead of doing the talking before the game, they're waiting for the games to play out. And when they play well, with each passing week as they seem to be getting more and more on the right track and making some strides and developing into a better team, then I think the confidence comes back and they can feel more and more comfortable saying, hey, well, we're showing you that you know you were wrong at the beginning of the year and that there was a lot more talent in this locker room, that we were a much better team than we were given credit for. They're letting the results you know, speak for themselves, which is, I think, much certainly a change from maybe the way some of the teams in the past couple of years have operated. Yeah, and I think you know what's 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 great, Chris, too, is that uh, over the last few years, since the New York Jets have started streaming Rex's press conferences online, uh, you can watch pretty much every press conference, and and I I do because uh, <laughs> I have a, I have a, I have a job that allows me to do that, and it really changed the way I viewed Rex because I started to hear the questions that you guys were asking, and. And suddenly, when you have a Rex Ryan press conference, and especially now, like I've seen the change over the three years, when you have a Rex Ryan press conference in context, when you have the questions in context, it's a very different deal than when you just get you know, two lines or three lines on ESPN later on in the day. And I think the change is, certainly it was, it was a little bit last year, but he was still himself. And the change, I think, from watching the press conferences this year, I think the chip is only there. Like, he only lets that facade down and the old Rex down when he's really pushed. Like, when he's really sort of, like, backed up against it by either a question or an, in, you know, an insinuation. And I think this penalty and, and, and this outcome in the, in the Patriot game the other day and, uh, is a good example of that. Like, even watching his presser today, and sort of, he's, he's clearly tired of hearing about it, right? Like, he's clearly just, okay, enough. And then when he's pushed on the Belichick thing, I just, I love that. See, that was, that's the Rex Ryan that, as a Jet fan, I love. Like, he's, he's got to get his story straight. You know, which one is it? But he, yeah, but I, he, I, thought that, I thought that was awesome. And, uh, I, you know, I was waiting for the question to come just because, Right. You know, he was 15 minutes late today to his press conference, so we yeah. were all kind of sitting in there, and I'm just keeping to myself quiet, listening to the chatter, and just knowing the way that that whole play had been covered the last couple of days with the back and forth and Belichick and whether Quentin Copel's pushed and who did this and what about this, I was just amazed. I mean, I understood it was a big story after the game Sunday and maybe even into Monday, but here we were on Wednesday, 
and there was still a lot of chatter about this. And I knew that he was going to get asked about Belichick's comments because we hadn't had a chance to speak to Rex until uh, Monday afternoon when he did his conference call. So uh, I was just waiting for the question, and I was curious how he was going to handle it. And I thought the response was perfect, um, you know, because – you could say a lot of things about Rex Ryan and some of his responses in the past and whether or not he really had, uh, you know, I don't want to say the resume, but if he had the, you know, whatever, depending on the certain instance, whether or not he had the, the facts or the, um, you know, the evidence to back up some of the things that he said. Uh, I thought he hit this one on the head because, you know, it's easy to point fingers after the fact, but, you know, I've, I've watched the Copals play and I just think they're night and day. But at the same time, you know what? The referees made a call on the field. It's a new rule. It's controversial because it's the end of the game, but it is what it is. I mean, the game is over. This is not the first time that a there's been a controversial penalty in a tight football game. So to still be talking about it on Wednesday and to be fielding questions about what Bill Belichick said, you know, I just knew that wasn't really going to go over well with him. But I give him credit for responding the way he did, and I thought he was 100% right. So, um, yeah. you know, props to him for that. And the other thing is he took some crap about – which, you know, from the usual sort of outlets, but he took some, some, some guff about the idea that, you know, the Jets, you know, you saw the stories flying, that the Jets tipped off the officials and Willie Colon heard uh, the officials warn the Patriots about doing it on a previous field goal. And, and then, you know, the Saints had seen them do it and his brother tipped him off. And so <laughs> he, he caught like some slack, like, uh, uh, you know, as if he when he was asked about it, he was like, oh, yeah, we totally did that. And he didn't. He didn't do that. I mean, I heard every interview that he did. He never said what he talked about the refs. He never said that they tipped them off. Like, I didn't see him taking bows, as it were. Um, or, you know, and, and that's something he's done in the past. Like, when he's done something well, he's yeah. been like, yeah, I pretty much did that. I'm awesome. And I just thought that you know was what? Even even if- a change. Yeah, I mean, and to be honest with you, if if they did tip off the refs, well, you know, Good. we may never know exactly what happened. But, yeah, if they did, hey, more power to them. They they did their mm-hmm. research. They were prepared. They knew what to expect. It would not certainly not be that. Look, we've all, we hear these coaches mic'd up, whether it be at halftime at ESPN when they do Sunday soundtracks or if you're watching uh, NFL sound effects. I mean, these guys are constantly riding the officials looking for any little sort of advantage they can get. So that's not unusual. Um, I, I didn't. That was another side of this whole nonsense story. I just didn't understand. Who cares if they tipped them off or not? If they did, they did their homework. They were prepared. Right, good they job. were ready to go. They knew what to expect. And preparation is such a big part of of what the NFL is all about these days. I mean, if you don't come in with the right game plan, you're gonna you're gonna struggle and you're gonna have trouble. So maybe this wasn't really part of the game plan, but they knew it was something to look for. How they found out about it, whether it was watching film or getting it from another coach, it doesn't really matter. When push came to shove, you know, they got the big call in the big moment. And let's be honest, in the second half, they were the better team. They dominated both lines of scrimmage, and uh, I thought they deserved to win the game. So I really had no issue with the way uh, the whole end of the game played out. Yeah, they, they out-Belichick'd Belichick if they did that. I mean, if they, if they <laughs> pissed off the official, you know, he was probably pissed off because they took a page out of his book, so... Cal and I have been uh, uh, really wanting to ask you about uh, Geno Smith, Cal. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, I threw it yeah. over to you there. You didn't. You didn't get Man, that. Good job. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, we do. We we really. I want to get your opinion. We've watched Geno Smith now in seven games. He's he's four and three in his NFL career, and every win he's had has been a fourth quarter comeback or an overtime comeback. And I just wanted to get your sense of, has, has he been developing 
even in these first seven games, do you see a difference in Geno Smith than you might have seen in training camp with him? Is, is the game starting to slow down a little bit for him now? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think there have been, it's been slow progression week to week. Obviously, there's still some mistakes mixed in. I mean, you just look at the result of his play as it compares to the Jets' win-loss record. I mean, they've alternated wins and losses. They haven't put together a two-game winning streak just yet. And in the three losses, he's had some costly turnovers. So that's not unexpected for a rookie quarterback. You know, no one thought he was going to come in and set the world on fire, especially considering the Jets' You know, on offense, let's be honest, they do have some some players that are starting to develop and have done a nice job, but it's not like a rookie quarterback walking into a situation where he's got all these, you know, established playmakers surrounding him. So I think it's been a work in progress. The decision-making is still something that I think he's he's working on each week in practice. It's something he harps on when he, when he speaks with us on Mondays and Wednesdays or after the game on Sundays, um, knowing when to be aggressive and when not, when not to. So... Uh, that's, that is really, I think, the difference in taking the next step from college into the NFL is these defenses are just, I mean, it's just such, you have such little or small margin for error, you know, different coverages, different looks that you've never seen, uh, throwing into tight windows, ball security, understanding that anytime someone gets near you, they're going to be looking to strip that ball out. Whether you're sitting in the pocket, whether you're rushing, scrambling, it doesn't matter. So and those speed. are some of the things that speed, they, speed. Yeah, those, those, exactly. Speed kills. So I think those are some of the things he's working on, but there's a lot to like. I mean, the kid obviously has talent. He has a big arm. He has the ability to make plays down the field, and this offense has pushed the ball down the field much more than any sort of Jet team we've seen in God knows how long. So, um, yeah, there are, there, are still, there are still things to clean up, but you know what? When you have a quarterback who can push the ball down the field and make big plays, uh, that will cover up a lot of the mistakes. So I, I'm not sending him to Canton just yet. I don't think anybody is. But uh, through, seven, through seven games, I think there's a lot to like. And I think you have to credit some of the, you know, the players around him as well. And I think you certainly have to credit Marty Morningwick, who I think has done yeah. a real nice job coming in. And it's not perfect, but compared to Tony Sperano last year, it's night and day. Oof. And that's a big reason why they have four wins. Chris, how does the team respond to Geno Smith? Are they are they buying into him as the leader of this team at this point? I, w- I don't know if it's, I don't know if they would classify him as a leader just yet, but they definitely are buying into him as an individual, as a player. And uh, I know a lot of the not I shouldn't say a lot of the veterans because there aren't a lot of veterans on this team. It's a young <laughs> team, but some of the older players that have been around a while, whether it be a Calvin Pace, a David Harris, a Nick Mangold. Uh, they have uh, Willie Colon, who I know is his first year with the team, but he's been around the block a bit in this league, and he's well-respected already in this locker room. Um, they, they have all raved about Geno Smith and just how even-keeled he is. He's the same guy every day, whether he has a good day, bad day, good game, bad game, good game, bad, or good practice, bad practice. He doesn't get too high or too low. And, you know, you guys touched on the fourth-quarter comebacks. I think someone with that sort of mentality, that's a big reason why. You know, when the, when the pressure's on, when the uh, opposing defense starts to turn the heat up in the big moment when the Jets need a play, his eyes don't get too wide. He doesn't really sense the pressure. He doesn't get himself all worked up. He just goes through the same, same routine that he would on any other play, and I think that allows him to make some of those plays we've seen late in games that have put the Jets in position to win. So uh, there's no question through training camp and preseason and seven games that uh, the, lock, the locker room has definitely bought into him, and I think they've been real impressed with the job he's done, not just on the field but off the field since he, uh, since he showed up after the draft. Yeah, I think, I think our, our, you know, some of our buddies, we usually wind up in some sort of like, you know, uh, iMessage chat room during a game or whatever, just sort of, 
you know, firing back and forth and who's watching live and who's not because they have two children and are not allowed to watch live <laughs> football anymore on Sundays. But and, and and perhaps you'll see that someday. But anyway, uh, <laughs> something to look forward to. Well, it's your job. You see, it's your job. We we haven't been able to convince our wives that the podcast so this is our is job. job yeah. so, but we're working on it. But um, hey, one of the whatever works. We started calling him Sleepy G because it's just he's just so he's always the same guy. It's just like he looks like he's like his pulse rate never goes above like sixty at any time, yeah. whether he throws a pick six or he throws the game winning touchdown. And I guess you know I I'm personally Cal and I have talked about this a lot because I was a big Sanchez apologist. I, I freely admit that um, I think I think Mark Sanchez in a different system with different players, might have developed into a better NFL quarterback. And I think the Jets did a bad job. I mean, it's been well written about. It's not like I'm breaking ground here. But I think the Jets did an awful job in developing Mark Sanchez and surrounding him with talent and also in coddling him too much. Which brings me to my question. Do you think that – I think it's become sort of like a joke with Rex now, with this he's the starter for this week kind of thing, and he's (laughs) saying tongue-in-cheek and stuff. But yeah. do you think that was the right decision off the bat, and do you think that was a learning from the Sanchez situation where Mark was never really in danger of not starting? Yeah, I think it was some of that. It, it's interesting. I, I think there's a lot of different layers to it. Um, certainly, I think the fact that Sanchez was still around and they were in this you know, so-called competition was a big part of it, and then the way that all ended with the preseason injury, uh, I don't think they wanted to just say, okay, well, Gino wins by default. But now we're at a point where Sanchez is out of the picture, obviously, so you say to yourself, well, then why wouldn't he just be named the guy? But you're right. It has kind of become tongue-in-cheek with Rex. I think they like the way he's responded to the way they've handled things so far, so why change that, you know? Uh, I, I, look, I'm sure if you put Gino on a lie detector and you said, hey, the fact that they haven't committed to you yet, do you really feel that your your job is in jeopardy? No, I think he understands that barring, you know, some sort of catastrophic injury or some sort of terrible string of play, he's going to start a quarterback for the rest of the season and get an opportunity to prove himself. And, you know, that's really all you need when, when all said and done. Um, but I do think I do think that he is a guy who internally finds ways to motivate himself. And if you want to call it a chip on his shoulder, not that he has any sort of bad will toward the organization, but I think he takes that as a challenge, proving to himself, to his teammates, to the coaching staff that he can be the guy. Uh, And another perfect example of that is last week, Rex Ryan was kind of, I don't know if it was on purpose or if it was just he he didn't quite realize this. Again, we go back to how sometimes things he says get taken out of context. He was answering a question about the Patriots, and he mentioned, you know, give me Tom Brady, we'll see how many wins I have. Yeah. And yeah. so someone, one of the reporters, immediately went to Gino in the locker room following that press conference. Hey, Gino, Rex just said that, you know, he'd like to have Tom Brady as his quarterback. You know, what do you yeah. think about that? And yeah. Gino kind of looked at the guy and said, I, you know, I haven't talked to Rex. I didn't hear what he said, so I don't, you know, I don't, really have, I don't really have a thought about that. But I read after that Patriots game, some of the people in the locker room said that, not in a bad way, like he was upset at Rex, but he kind of used that as internal motivation to say, okay, well, I'm going to be playing against Tom Brady in this game. We lost the first one. It's an opportunity to beat our rivals in our own stadium. And you know what? He went out and he played. He played. He outplayed Tom Brady in that game. There's no doubt about it. So um, I think he's responded well to everything they've put on his plate. He, he again, he said all the right things. 
He doesn't get too high or too low. I don't think he takes some of the stuff in the, in the media too seriously. He's handled it all like a, like a veteran. And sometimes I forget that he just turned 23. So yeah. there's a lot to like. Whether it all pans out in the end, I, you know, I can't predict that right now. But I think considering uh, just everything that was surrounding this team coming into the season, the quarterback competition, some of the lack of offensive skill players, new coordinators, you know, losing some of the veterans they had on the team. Um, I think that the team itself has responded pretty well. They've certainly impressed people, and I think Geno's a big reason why. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And speaking of, you know, not knowing how it's going to go forward, and we're going to let you go in just a minute, Chris. You've been really generous with your time, and we appreciate it. But I just no have, problem. We just have a couple of uh, quick hitters here for you. But, um, quick hitters? What, is, what am I saying? What is that? Uh, yeah, I don't know. My bad. Um, <laughs> That's all right. My, but, my answers are long-winded, so don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, this is this we're, we're enjoying this because we we um, are trying to uh, understand a little bit more about the team and on a daily basis. And all we really do get is the tweets and stuff like that. So we really appreciate the time. But you you hit on something that's really interesting to us. And Cal and I have been saying it for a while. And also Joe uh, Caparoso from TurnOnTheJets.com dot com said it with us back in oh, it was March or April. Uh, we had him on right after they hired Marty Morningway, and, and we were ecstatic about that because one of the things we said was, right after the season, was Rex is a defensive savant, right? He's a savant coach, and he needs to find a guy who's an offensive savant. Like he needs to find mm-hmm. the offensive version of him. And like that first interview with Morningweg, and I like you watch some tape of the Eagles and stuff like that, and then like that first interview, you're like, oh, it's offensive Rex, sweet. <laughs> you know, like even if you go back to like press conferences when he was the coach of Detroit, like he he almost guaranteed a playoff. You know, like he's just he's the offensive version of Rex. So it's very similar to 2009 to me, Rex's first year, where. Uh, and now that was a better team, without a doubt. But uh, you know, just from skill wise, but uh, the the defense is really stout. If you play well with the rookie quarterback and you don't turn the ball over and play good defense, you should be in just about every game. And they've managed to sort of pull a few out of the fire and get a couple of wins here. So all I'm saying is this: there's a troubled Browns receiver there to be traded for, <laughs> just like there was in '09 you know, who was one nightclub bad decision on a Friday night away from being suspended, and yet I went out and bought his, I bought his jersey anyway. Um, look, I, I don't think they're going to cha- uh, trade for him, but do you think that Itzik, who we both love, by the way, just going back to your initial statement, we are completely enamored with the job he has done, um, and him going forward. Do you think he strays from the plan at all because this team is maybe performing better than he thought and maybe he looks at a trade for an offensive player? Maybe? Uh, I'm sure that's, he's I'm sure that they're um I'm sure they're looking into all avenues whether or not he strays from his plan. He doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who is going to make impulsive decisions. And, you know, I don't know him that well. I've only spoken with him a couple of times. But the book on him is that he's very stubborn in a good way. He's sort of, you know, he, he comes up with a plan, and, and that's, he's going to stick with it and, and do what he thinks best for the long term. So he's still very early on in his tenure, and we're kind of learning about him as we go. 
in terms of it's interesting you made that connection with Braylon Edwards. I hadn't thought of that in the troubled receiver thing. That's pretty good. Um, I'm sure that they are again exploring all these anyone that may be available. It's it's amazing. The NFL trade deadline was kind of an, an afterthought only a, a couple of years ago. And times have changed. We're starting to see we're starting to see some more moves, some more movement. I think a big part of that is I don't know maybe I'm crazy here, but so many so much more injuries and guys going down for the season and teams that are feel yep. that they're contending yeah. needing to add somebody but um to to kind of ask to go back to the the main question uh i'm sure they would love to add a guy like Josh Gordon who i think has shown you in a, a season and a half that he is certainly a playmaker and a, and a talented wide receiver in this league he obviously comes with his baggage uh, there are two things that i that concern me number 1 I mean, the Browns are rebuilding, obviously. I mean, they shipped Trent yes. Richardson out of, t- out of town, and I know they had that three-game winning streak, but now that Brian Hoyer's hurt and they don't really have a quarterback, it seems like they're headed for another, you know, top top five, top ten draft pick. So right. um, you have a, a talented, physically impressive receiver who is only in his second year. The fact that they're considering dealing him, it scares me. Now, sometimes guys just need a fresh start and they turn things around. Um, but as you mentioned, this guy's had some off-the-field issues. Uh, there are questions, I think, from what I've read at least, that's been reported about his work ethic, about his attitude, how much of that has to do with the fact that the Cleveland Browns organization has been disappointing for since basically since they returned to Cleveland. Um, maybe that's part of it. I don't know. But I would be very afraid to give up any sort of valuable draft pick for a guy that has some question marks. I understand that there has to be risk involved if you're going to bring in, uh, if you're going to get some sort of return. That's number one. Number two is I know it sounds like there are teams that are much more contenders than the Jets are that are interested in him, whether it be a team like the 49ers, someone along those lines, uh, that are looking for a receiver. So to me, if I'm a team in a position that's much closer to winning the Super Bowl than the Jets, I'm probably willing to give up more than the Jets would be in this position. So I'm just wondering, with the amount of teams that may or may not be interested in this guy, the Jets and what they're offering, where do they rank uh, on that list of teams? So, again, we'll have to see how it plays out. You know, I would put the odds of him being a Jet by the trade deadline certainly at less than 50%, maybe 25, and that's just me throwing out a number. I really don't have any inside information on that. But I can understand the appeal. I can, yeah. I can understand the appeal and, 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 you know, a Jet fan wanting to see a, a playmaker like that put into this offense. I'm just, not how sh- I'm just not sure how realistic it is at this point in time that they're going to be able to pull that off. Well, and the thing is, the, the early season success, modest as it may be, notwithstanding, they're still not that close to being – I mean, they're still developing. This is a brand-new team with a young quarterback and a lot of young players – and they're still developing, and they're not that one player away from being a Super Bowl contender. So whether it's Josh Gordon or, or even Kenny Britt or anybody, any, any major difference maker, I just throw his name out there, but um, it's, not, it, it's probably not prudent at this point to mortgage any of that future because there's still a lot more to do in this rebuilding project. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I, I, look, they're they're obviously not really quite good, there though. yet, but but they know they they have look they have a lot of developing players. Um, you know, offensively, I know they're not they're not going to hit you with some of these big name guys that really jump off the page. But um, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see what a, what a full season under Marty Morningway is going to do. And you guys hit on the impact that he's made. I mean, there have been knocks on him in the past, and obviously. But, look, when you coach offense in the NFL for 18 years, you're obviously doing something right. So uh, I think the guys have respond, responded pretty well to his system. And something that has impressed me, I mean, Santonio Holmes goes down in the Tennessee game, and, you know, Clyde Gates, say what you want about him, is out for the year. And they kind of have to – you know, add some parts basically off the side of the road, and, and David Nelson, Josh Cribbs, Jeremy Curley steps up. Uh, Stephen Hill has sort of been up and down again, but it hasn't really slowed down this passing attack, and, and it hasn't really affected Geno a whole lot. Um, I think they've continued to, to make plays down the field. They've used Jeff Cumberland to some extent to, to push the field a little bit, and, yeah. and to me that comes back to the system. It comes back to the coordinator, the schemes and the game plan he's coming up with week to week, and I've been really impressed with what they've done on a week-to-week basis with changing things up to play to their strengths yeah. depending yep. on the matchup. Um, and that's why I wasn't, you know, I was, I was anticipating Chris Ivory getting a lot more work last week just because I thought against a, a banged-up Pats front seven they would want to go with the more physical guy to wear that unit down. I never would have expected them to carry it 34 times. But, um, <laughs> you know, you can kind of look week-to-week, and if you look at the matchup, I think, you know, if you're a fantasy football guy, you can say, all right, where the Jets are, who are they facing, what kind of matchup, which guy do I think is going to be the go-to guy this week. And that's the thing. It's been a different guy each week. I mean, Jeremy Curley steps up and has a huge game and makes some key plays on third down against the Pats, whereas he's been pretty quiet so far this season. Stephen Hill's had a big game. Jeff Cumberland's had a big game. Bilal Powell yep. had a couple of big games. Ivory had a big game last week. So they're not relying on the same guy week to week. They're changing it up. They're keeping defenses on their heels. And, again, that goes back to me for the coordinator, the job he's done with the game plan. And I know the players have uh, spoken very highly of him in the locker room. Yeah, I mean, that's that's something as a Jet fan that, you you know, you said a, a vertical game pushing the ball downfield, and it's something we haven't seen. And, and I interjected quite easily since I've been watching this team for 35 years, you know, ever, like ever, since, like <laughs> Ken, o, since Ken O'Brien was throwing, a, you know, Wesley Walker and Altoon. Um, you know, they – the great thing about Marty Morningway that we've seen so far is, and I, you sort of started to see this even in the preseason when Sanchez was taking snaps as well, even in that first game against Detroit, he is going to scheme guys open. It's just a matter of if the quarterback can get the ball to them, but he's going to scheme. And I, you know, going to the game this weekend, and I was telling you this, Cal, like it was great to see Geno and that offense in person finally. And I was sitting in the uh, in the end zone in section 128. So that first drive, they're coming right at me. And Gino's marching down the field. And even on the touchdown to Curley, you you just you saw it. I mean, I've been watching. I've been to 100 football games. You you you're watching the play develop, and you're like, oh man, he's all he has to do is make one move there, and he's he's wide open. Like it's he's actually you can get away with the lack of playmakers that they have to a certain extent, because his game planning is so good. And it's it's really, it's oh, after Tony Sperano, I mean, gee whiz. It's, <laughs> it's really been delightful. Listen, Chris, before we let you go, I do want to ask you uh, one thing, just personally. Um, you come to this job early on. I know, you know Cal and I, back when Cal used to listen to Boomer Carton, um, I, still, I still listen to Boomer Carton most mornings, but... I must admit, I do have to turn Mr. Carton off sometimes. Um, <laughs> but uh, but we remember you, you know, back when you, you were on that show and, and uh, as CeeLo back in the day. And, um, you know, just real quickly, I'm just curious how you came to 
you know, like what's your origin story? I mean, how did you, did you always want to be a journalist? I know you, you mentioned in your bio you played baseball. Um, did you always want to, to sort of go into radio? Well, radio actually took a while to develop. Really, it, it, it goes back to high school. Um, you mentioned it. I, I played baseball in high school. That was my first love. Um, and I you know, played it all the way until the end of senior year. Um, but you know, I had some opportunities to continue on and play in college at the Division three level. Uh, the only problem was the schools I was interested. The schools that were interested in me, while they were good schools, didn't really have a great communications program. And I knew at that point, you know, look, baseball wasn't going to be the way I made my living, obviously. So, uh, but I knew I wanted to do something in. <laughs> I knew I wanted to do something in sports. <laughs> I had written for the for the school newspaper and covered, you know, the football team and the basketball team when I was in my off season. So I knew I was into that, and I wanted to do something along those lines. So uh, when I was looking into colleges, I was looking at schools with, with really strong communications programs. Obviously, Syracuse is the big one, but I didn't quite want to go that far away from home into the, into the really cold weather. I know that has just been a – they have just pumped out, you know, yeah. whether it be print or radio journalists yeah. over the years. It, that, that, is, that has been the hotbed. But uh, I landed myself at what at the time was a small, little-known school, Quinnipiac University in Connecticut, and I'm proud to say that they've uh, – They've been an up-and-comer the last few years, and they're starting <laughs> to develop. But uh, it was the perfect spot for me. I went in thinking I was going to be a, a print journalist. A friend of mine introduced me to college radio my sophomore year, and, and that was it. The rest was history. I fell in love with that. I started doing uh, updates on the station. I started hosting my own show. I did some uh, play-by-play. I did some locker room stuff for the hockey and basketball broadcasts. And it That's really awesome. it gave me it gave me great experience to get me prepared for interning at the fan um got my foot in the door there and just kind of been keeping my head down and, and working my way up the boomerang carton experience was very very important and key for my development not just in terms of what i do on the air but also um it definitely helped me develop some thick skin i mean those guys are great they're a lot of <laughs> yeah. fun to work for but they will definitely bust your chops and growing up as an only child you know, I had it pretty good. I didn't have a sibling to really bust my chops all the time. So it took me a while to understand what those guys were all about. But I definitely learned some, some very important lessons, and uh, it, is, it certainly helped me get to where I am now. Yeah, then all of a sudden you had Uncle Craig and Uncle Boomer busting your chops every yeah. morning. <laughs> and exactly. Uncle Al Hughes. And they, and they, um, let, you, yeah, and they, let, they let you know about it, but uh, it's all in good fun. No, definitely. And uh, – did you? I know you grew up. You know, you said you grew up a Giant fan and a, and a, I guess a Yankee fan. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Giants, Yankees, Rangers, and uh, didn't really have a favorite NBA team. Right. So you, so you, you will, you will never be listening to the show again. Um. <laughs> no, no, that's not true. I, I, you know, it's funny. I, 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 I was always very, I was always very passionate about my teams, but I, you know, I never took to hating other teams really. I, right. I, I, you know what? I'll make one exception. The, the the New Jersey Devils. I mean, ho- I'm probably most passionate about the Rangers just because they've had the least success of my of my three favorite teams. I've seen plenty of Yankees success. I've seen Giants success. I was eight when the Rangers won the Cup in '94, and I still have great memories of that. But it's been pretty torturous since then. And the Devils have done nothing but beat them up for the, like seemingly the last 15 <laughs> or 20 years. So um, I've built up some some hatred towards them, towards Marty Bordor. But I have I have great respect for for what they've been able to accomplish. But that's always been my. I just try to stay even keeled. Stay as objective as possible. I don't like hating on other teams. I never had anything against the Jets 
growing up as a Giant fan, I always root for the New York teams to do well for the most for the most part. So it was that was never an issue for me taking over the Jets beat. I had no problem openly saying that I grew up a Giants fan because it's just the two to me had nothing to do with each other. They're not division rivals. They rarely play each other. So you know the whole New York rivalry. That's fine, but it. I, it was, it's been a very easy transition, and um, it's been a lot of fun covering the Jets. And quite honestly, I hope they do well, because that, that makes it more exciting and more interesting for me to cover them on a daily basis. Well, Chris, as Islander fans, we can agree with you on, on the Devils. We, we do not like yeah, them there you go. at all. So. <laughs> yeah, we, don't care, we don't care for them one bit either. Did, was there a uh, – was there a um, I know you played, but was there a like a – Cal and I always point to um, – Brian and I have known each other since we we're eight years old. We were on our, you know, early little league teams and stuff like that. And uh, we had very similar experiences to you. Cal went to St. John's. I went to the University of Dayton. Um, you know, we did college radio. We did the whole thing um, with sports and stuff. I played baseball in college um, for for until talent catches up with you. And then uh, <laughs> they're like, you you know, you're in bad shape when you're watching Sal Fasano take batting practice. We oh, were playing. Uh, we were playing Evansville. And Sal Fasano was taking BP, and uh, I was a freshman. He was a senior. And uh, Sal Fasano, who never, you know, he was Sal Fasano. I mean, he never became anything. You know, he was a backup yeah. catcher in the major league. And he is hitting bomb after bomb after bomb with a wood yep. bat in batting practice. He was hitting the ball like 470 feet. And my coach turned to me and he goes, now that's what a Division One catcher looks like. I'm like, wow, thanks. <laughs> thanks Appreciate that. Um but was there was there a, a sporting event that you went to that sort of like when you were a kid that sort of stands out to you? That's like your like Cal and I have our big moments and uh, our big moments with broadcasters. Like obviously we have you know Vin Scully behind the bag and we have Bob Murphy the Mets win. Was there were there broadcasters and stuff that you idolized from your teams? Um, I would say I, I didn't really start getting into the broadcasting side of it until I got a little bit older. I just I can't really pinpoint from a, what it was from a young age. I just was drawn to it, specifically baseball. I mean, my parents have home videos of me at age one or two sitting on the couch locked in on baseball games with my dad, <laughs> even though I probably had no idea what was going on. Uh, I was just drawn to it. So from a very young age, I, w- I was into that. Um, but in terms of broadcasters, so I, got, I actually got an off-the-wall one for you, a guy that I, I, I think stands out to me just because I haven't gotten to hear him do his thing for a long time. I actually, when I was age 4 to 11, was living in northern Virginia, so I wasn't exposed to uh, some of the New York broadcasters. And as a Rangers fan, I'd have to catch them on ESPN a lot. And when they were making the Stanley Cup run in 94, I was getting all the national ESPN broadcasts. And Gary Thorne was the play-by-play guy. Gary Thorne, sure. And I just, I just have great memories of those playoff games and some of his excitement and his calls and obviously, since uh, the NHL is no longer on ESPN anymore, we never get to hear him do hockey. I know he still does some baseball, and he's around here and there. But um, that's just, you know, thinking back to my childhood, that's some of the great memories I have. Obviously, I'm a big Sam Rosen guy, being a Rangers fan as well. So, um, you know, I, yeah, it's, no, it's Gary, weird. Gary Thorne, I, I, baseball, he did Met games. He did Met games for a yeah, long time. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. I didn't find you know, that Gary out until I grew up a little and, and moved into <laughs> yeah. the New York area. But it's weird. Baseball was my first love. And I and I do love football, but a lot of my my childhood memories, things that stand out, have to do with hockey. Whether it be Rangers as a kid, Madison Square Garden is probably my favorite sporting venue in the entire world. I love that place. Nice. So um, I don't know, nice. just the way it worked out, I guess. 
And, and you know, Howie, Howie Rose is the voice of the Islanders right now, but yeah. he will always be known for his call on, on the Matteau goal in 94 for the yeah. Rangers. Yes, he will. And, and I believe, unless I'm mistaken, I'm almost certain that he grew up a big-time Rangers fan. So he did. that was, I'm sure, he very fitting did. for him. And, yes, that was, I'm sure that's one of his, not just because of the fame he, you know, he, he garnered from it nationally and the attention it got, but just for him getting to call such a big goal oh. for a team he grew up rooting for, I'm sure it was awesome for him. Yeah, I mean, Howie Rose gets to, you know, call the Rangers for years, and then he called, and he's, you know, the voice of the Mets, and he grew up, I mean, he's encyclopedic when it comes to the Mets. Um, yeah. You know, he's, he, I mean, he, was, he was calling games in the upper deck when he was like 10, and now he's like the voice <laughs> of the team. I mean, Howie Rose is, and don't think for a second it doesn't stick in our Islander craw, a little bit that uh, Howie Rose is the voice of the Islanders, even though he's great and he's wonderful. But we grew up with Jiggs McDonald and Eddie Westfall. Yeah, and yeah. Jake McDonald is, you know, he still does Islander games every once in a while, Chris. Yeah. And I, I'll, I'll text Calvi and I'll be like, "We got Jigsy tonight. It's must. It's <laughs> like must TV. You, you get, you get Jigsy for a game. I'm like, I'm like ten years old again, and Butchie Goring's putting the puck in the net. I mean, it's fantastic. I know the Islander fans are drawn to him. I work with a couple guys at at, uh, at Fan that are big time Islander fans, and anytime he's on the broadcast, it's you know for the, for the outside person who maybe never heard him before, you wonder what's the appeal. But for someone that grew up on that, that's that's part of your childhood or you know adolescence or yeah. whatever you want to call it. So it's always great memories, and I'm sure uh, a nice pleasant surprise when you get to hear him do a game every now and then. Yeah. <laughs> the great thing about sports is you make these connections with, with the announcers that you listen to growing up and, and it just, you know, you love sports, but then when you make the connection with the announcer or somebody covering the team, it just enhances the, the whole experience. It does. And you remember certain plays, you know, the way they were called and it just kind of sticks in your memory and it's just, you know, it's nostalgic. So it's, it's something you can always look back on and with, you know, with pride or with happiness. Yep. So, and we lost, we hold on we lost to one and, today. Yeah, we lost one yep, today with I, Bill Mazur. I mean, I remember I grew up listening to uh, watching Bill Mazur on Channel Five, and yep. you know, hearing him on. You know, Cal and I have been listening to WFEN since the day it started. So, you know, we uh, because we were you know complete tools when we were in junior high school. So, um, <laughs> but but uh, you know, yeah, it's, uh, hearing Bill Mazur pass at you know the age of ninety two today is is right up in in that regard. These guys become emotional. Okay, one last question. I promise. If you're going to a tailgate, you're an Italian guy, right? Are you 100% Italian, Chris? Uh, no, I'm 50 for all on my dad's side. Mom is uh, Irish and Hungarian, but she's sort of an adopted Italian now, so maybe we'll nice. kick it up to like 75. Right, only the good half, right. Okay, so, <laughs> um, uh, and, well, that's okay. Cal is, what are you, Cal, again? Guys, exactly. My father is Italian. My mother is half Irish, half Canadian. Half Canadian, right. Oh, that's why okay. Cal loves hockey so much. What's that about? Um, so uh, you're going to a tailgate. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, PJ. Thank you very much. Um, that's my theme music. Um, so you're going to tailgate. We asked this of Joe Caparoso as well. Going to your tailgate, you're going to have like one Italian dish. What are you, what are you having at the, at the tailgate? What are, we bring, what are we making? Oh, my. At the tailgate? Wow. See, for me, I'm not, you know, the traditional Italian, for me, with growing up in my house with my grandmother was always lasagna and meatballs, but that's not really a tailgate situation. So, oh, we've uh, done it. We've done it. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you can. Is. It's just not. Uh, I don't know, man. That's tough. 
that is tough. I guess I'd have to stay with that. I mean, that's what I knew growing up. If we could get that in the parking lot and get it to taste just as good as it would be coming out of the oven, that's that's fine with me. Yeah, that's not a problem. We can get that on for you. We can. We can. <laughs> we've done over those over those nineteen years. We we made everything. Joe went sausage and peppers because that's who Joe is. Yeah, sausage and peppers. That guy. that that is definitely more of a tailgate option. That was <laughs> that was my second thought, but I didn't want to stray too far from what I knew. <laughs> right. No lasagna meatballs. We'll do that at any time. Listen, Chris. Thank you so much for the time tonight. And uh, really, you know, keep up the great work. You're doing an awesome job. We really, as Jet fans who are level-headed and calm. <laughs> we we certainly appreciate it, and uh, maybe we'll talk to you down the road. Thank you, guys. I appreciate the kind words, and uh, anytime you want to chat, I'm uh, pretty much always available, so no problem. Awesome. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Good luck. All right. So there you have it. There it is. Chris Lepresti, WFAN. A bottle of red, a bottle of white. One power outage tonight. Well, that was that was really enjoyable. What a, I mean, yeah, that, he, kid, that kid's gonna be good. He really is. Yeah, he, and I don't mean and I don't mean kid in a uh, you know I don't mean that to sound. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? No, I I, I know what you mean. As, as Not his, diminishing. What's the word I'm looking for? Demeaning. Demeaning. Sure. Right. It's 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 just it's really impressive that at such a young age, how good he already is, you know, and and how level-headed he is, and and he really he really has a good feel for the business at a young age, and and it's it's impressive, you know. It is, and the you know the idea that he has such a good mastery of the social media, and he is only you know what is he twenty-seven or something like that. Um. Is is not lost on me. I mean, you see these guys, these older guys, uh, men and women who have been covering the teams for a long time, and they're in their mid forties or whatever, and they're just a disaster on Twitter. But that's a huge thing, and and I I equate that if if I were to equate that to the business world, it's amazing in the business world if you have even a modicum of understanding of the Microsoft Office programs. Microsoft Excel, Access, Outlook, whatever it is. PowerPoint, okay. If you understand it even a little bit, you come across as such a genius right now. <laughs> and it's like, uh, you know, I, I just I put a little formula in this cell. And it's like you, you're performing wizardry. <laughs> it's amazing. But that's how it is. What, with, what is this alchemy that you're doing here on but, this box? But, but it's the same thing as social media with sports. If, if you have a grasp of it, whether you're young or old, it doesn't matter your age, if you are able to, to grasp it and pick it up right now, I, it's still at the stage where it puts you at such an advantage over everybody else who's like who are trying to catch up. You know what I mean? Like, if, like, like in Chris's case, he, he, he's got it perfectly. He knows exactly what to do. You know, and, oh, and it he's shows miles. He's miles ahead of the game. He really is. And and that's how we were. You know, he was nice enough to to give us an hour of his time tonight and 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 make it through the power outage and everything and call back. Um, but also, Cal, that's how we started interacting a little bit on Twitter, just about the Jets. Right. And he's he's extremely approachable. He he's also very measured in his responses. He's very careful um, not to offend. And we saw today on Twitter. 
Well, I, yeah, we, uh, we wanted to talk about this. Because, we got we got to mention it. We got to mention it. Well, we've been talking about, and and if you listen to us, and and a big theme of what we talk about is how. Well, thank you, thank you. If you do, okay. <laughs> yeah, please continue. Continue to listen. Thanks. We got T-shirts if you want. We got an app. We got an app coming out. Let us know. The guys, the guys, the guys. This is going to revolutionize. Going to revolutionize podcasting. Okay. Um, so we talk about Twitter. A lot. We talk about social media a lot on this, and, and we've talked about how it's changed in the four years that we've been doing this show, and how the tone of the um, how the tone of the uh, of, of Twitter has changed over the over the course of four years. Yeah, a lot. And, and today, we kind of saw how it's gone to the next level, and we've seen ramifications. There's consequences now to this tone changing so drastically on Twitter. Absolutely. And we, we saw an arrest, an actual arrest, from a very well-known Met tweeter, uh, mostly, um, for making threats against the team and other persons. And he was arrested yeah. for, you know, for aggravated assault. And you, know, you can say you know, there was a big bit of, well, he had it coming, or you know, he doesn't deserve, the Mets should worry about winning games, they're worried about this guy, or blah, 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 blah. Or he's, he's joking. Right, he's joking, you know, whatever. But, you know, at what point is it not joking anymore? And at what point are we to take somebody uh, seriously? Or how do we determine that this person is not having a psychotic break and is capable of doing these things? You don't know. Well, that's it's the completely, thing. It's completely anonymous, and you don't know. In the year 2013, Steve, I don't think you can take anything too lightly. Right. Anything. You know? And uh, especially about that. She wow. agrees. You cannot take that lightly. That's not the blind dog, right? No, she can see perfectly. Right. So she can see that we're on the air right now. She can. and But she's, she's contributing. Right. <laughs> Because she recently uh, experienced a situation with dog Twitter, <laughs> where she was besmirched. Dog Twitter is a mess right now. Oh, they're, they all, they're all up in arms. They, I mean, they really have to calm down with dog Twitter. <laughs> is she on the dog Twitter? She's on the dog Twitter, yes, sure. Now, is somebody using her name in like a parody dog account? Right. Yeah, fake, fake Bailey. Well, that was the other thing with Twitter. That was another thing that happened yesterday. Francesca's threatening to out the guys who run the Mike Francesa. Clearly a parody account. Clearly. Like, what I love the most about Akau is he clearly has no concept of how Twitter works. Like, no. none. And, and the real issue he had was with, was with the Daily News right. using that Twitter quote. <laughs> in, but now, but let me ask you this. Because I, I did want to get your opinion. Um, it's it's, it it's so wonderful. It's just so great to hear him make threats on, on the air about... Because the day before, it was, he doesn't care. It doesn't bother like if, me. If it bothered him, he would have done something about it to the next day saying he's going to out them. Right. And their job. So I wanted to ask you, do you think when the Daily News puts that quote in the paper and attributes, attributes it to the fake right. Mike Francesa, do you think the Daily News knows that it's fake and they're playing along with it? Or do you think they really do believe that that's Mike Francesa? No, they knew. They absolutely know. They did an article on these guys. Before they that? Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's a long time ago, like a year ago. It was in like a Sunday extra thing. All right. 
in the what's one of the Sunday sex? I don't read the Daily News anymore. I quit because of Manesh Mehta and Gary Myers. That's the God's honest truth. And Andy Martino. And Andy, thank you. I can't. Don't forget, it. forget that. Which is also why I'm not reading the Post. Thank you, Joel Sherman. So, and Bart Hubick. And Bart Hubick, right? But they used to have, um, or they they have like a Sunday scoreboard, and they had a whole article on these guys. It was, that's where it was where I um, read that they didn't want their identities out there because they're like doing this at work, and they're they're it, it would affect their business. If people knew who they were, right. that's why Frances's threat was a threat, because I know who they are and I know their professions and I'll out them. That was his threat. Right. It's also so, it's so ridiculous. But the you know the getting arrested for making threats against players is not ridiculous, because at, at what point does you know at what point does it need to stop? And if 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 you read some of the tweets. If you if you were to see some of some of the threats that that many have have said were jokes or were tongue in cheek or were not serious, they they sounded pretty serious, you know. And not not only did they sound serious, Brian, they they sounded doable. Right. It, yeah. It wasn't like you know something that he was going to need a team to pull off. Yeah. Anybody I mean, could do. Some, it some of it sounds do. outlandish and some of it seems doable. And, and I'm, I'm certainly not comparing this guy to a terrorist or something like that, or a no. domestic terrorist or whatever. That's not my point. You just don't know what people are capable of. And you're an anonymous person on Twitter. Who's a fan of a team who's making really doable outlandish threats against players, management, and other fans. You know, at what point do you have to just say, you know what? I don't know who this is. Is this person capable of a psychotic break? And doing this. Right. And if, you, if you're a Met player that's received a threat like that, how do you not take it seriously? You can't well, take any chances today. When you read 20 minutes ago about you know, guys showing up in Matt Schaub's driveway to complain about what he is as a quarterback and knocking on his door to berate him, and I'm a player and I live in the metropolitan area and it's easy to get my address – you know, I'm sure you can get my address. How am I not supposed to take a, th- a threat like that seriously, especially when it's continuous? I'll be honest with you. Like these were these were not one-off situations. Guys. No, 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 no. And and I have to tell you, it's not watching the way this has trended over the last couple of years. It's not surprising that it's gone to this level. I can't believe it took this long. Yeah. I mean, the way that, especially with the Mets, like the way this fan base feels about this team, mm-hmm. I'm surprised it took this long. I really am for something like this to happen because there is such vitriol right now with this fan base against their franchise. And a lot of it I understand. I mean, we sympathize with a lot of this. Oh, sure. But there's a time to stop and gather yourself. It's a baseball team. Yeah. And, and look, it, it's quite possible that there was no intention behind any of these things. Absolutely. You know, it's very possible that that's the truth. And it's also quite possible that this is a way of a a frustrated fan blowing off steam behind a cloak of anonymity. Right. Which is what Twitter is supposed to be. Which is not really there when you're working, when you are dealing with anything on the Internet. Right. Nothing is nothing is anonymous. And that that's another thing in the year 2013 that shocks me is that people still think they're being anonymous. Yeah, like you can, You're not. 
you could tweet something and they won't know who you are. Right, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm going to change my name, I'm going to put a fake picture up, and I'm going to tweet something nonsensical, and nobody will know who it is. Yeah. Wrong. It's called an IP address. It's not that hard. They're, they're going to know who you are. It's not that hard. This is like the guy who thinks he can erase like messages from his phone. Like you, 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 you're deleting them. Yeah. They're somewhere. Oh, they're there. They're and somewhere. Somebody, somebody can, if, if need be, somebody can. They can, they can get them. That's Trust right. me. So, what do you think of? Um, so, enough of that nonsensical stuff. The Giants got their first win, right? They're going to now win seven in a row, just to make us all look bad. Right. First team in NFL history to start a season zero and six and make the playoffs and win a Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. Even better. You went further than me. Good for you. Well. Addy, uh, let's bring the bishop back in. Do we have time for a quick fun load, or should we do it in overtime? Uh, I guess we'll do it in overtime. We'll do a quick one in overtime. So, but a quick one. Okay. Don't yell. Long week. Don't yell. It's been a long week. It has been a long week. This weather, this change in weather has really... It's has you frappy. Quick. Very quick. Did not see it coming. Even though it's October 23rd. Who are you? I still didn't see it coming. Walked outside today. It was cold. You're very, you're weird right now. I don't know who you're being. No. Are you are you on dog Twitter? I'm being myself. It was it was such a change in in temperature today. It was the whole atmosphere changed today. It was weird. The whole world changed today. Can you get a touch more dramatic about it? It's October twenty third. I went to sleep last night and everything was different. <laughs> everything in a world, one man. And this actually my October twenty third, everything changed. My voice is actually good for that guy. You could do voiceover work. In a world, one man sees the atmosphere change. Oh, look, I'm doing carton now. Great. That's true. That's good. That is a carton bit. How about that? But we don't do bits. How about that, bro? We don't do... They do do something in the morning now, Cal, that you would love. <laughs> it's called Morning Cup of Joe. <laughs> and they have... And I got it. I'm sorry. I got a hand. It's really, really good. And they have Beningo record it. <laughs> and the idea is he's going to give you the top four stories that you need to be talking about at the water cooler that morning, whether no matter what they're about. Right. So it'll just be – and it's Beningo actually doing it. And it'll be like, uh, World Series game one, Carlos Beltran gets hurt. How about that? Kim Kardashian got a big rear end. How about that? It's just like four things in a row. It's really good. Uh, really good bit. You would enjoy that. Well, I, now I wouldn't. Now that I know it, I think I'm good. Yeah, you're all set. Thanks. I can do it for you. That was good enough. Do you know that when I was a kid, I thought that they were Hall's mental liptus? Mental? Mental liptus, liptus yes. Ment- like, a, like a litmus test? Like That's a right. mental litmus test? <laughs> mental litmus. Mental litmus. Yeah. Yes. I believe Hall's, it. Hall's mental liptus. Actually, there's a P in there, right? Hall's mental liptus? Menthol. It's not mental. I know it's not now. I'm not everybody. We're going to lose them. Right. We're going to lose everybody in the live feed. Okay. First, uh, thank you. Huge thanks to Chris Lopresti from WFAN. You can follow him at, uh, at C. Lopresti WFAN at Twitter. And uh, Cal, we will see you next week. Yes. Uh, and uh, thank you uh, for tuning in. Go to www.rtusports.com for the show.
And that is it for the live show. We are in overtime. Injury time. We are in injury, injury time. time. That's right. I'm sorry. I'm I sorry. We're in injury it. time. Uh, so with that said, let's bring in Bishop. Let's, let's bring him in. Where is he? It's Where injury is he, time. Bishop? I'm going to pop another Hall's Mental Lifters. Not what you missed. I saw. <laughs> I'm watching. The whole thing unfold in front of me. I'm going to pop out. We should what? You've been drinking this whole time, haven't you? I am lit, buddy. Lit. Tea. You've been drinking mental Liptus tea. I like Glenn Fittick. <laughs> Give me one of the Glens, any of the Glens. I'll take it. Ben and Jerry's came out with uh, Scotchy Scotch Scotch. Yes. Is that? What? Yes. Is that now? Uh, do they really flavor the ice cream that way? Well, yeah. Well, I don't see why not. They had black and tan for a while, which was amazing. What it tastes like? It tasted like there was a black and tan living in your vanilla ice cream. It tasted <laughs> it like really... it tasted like ginger ale. What do you think it tasted like? It tasted yeah, it, it was tasted really like... really poor poor marketing. This black and tan ice cream. It tasted, <laughs> it tasted like no, sugar it had, it had a distinct dark beer taste, but in a really really good way. Okay. Like All you right, know, so... sometimes you. Sometimes you, you, you drink a thick beer, and you'd say, like, this is creamy. I and never said they, that. I've never said it. Stop it. I've never said that. I've never Stop drank it. a beer and went, mm, this is creamy. Yes, you did. You've never had, like, like, a stout. hearty stout and said it's, like, chocolatey or... or uh... No. I don't live my life on a Food Network show. Uh, There's a hint of cocoa. Yes, you could taste you could taste a hint of cocoa in a lot of them. This yes, beer is big. creamy and or, chocolatey. You know, fruit. This isn't beer after all. Why it's Ben and Jerry's? <laughs> I like this Black idea. I like I like this idea that PJ lives his life like he's con- con- always on a Food Network show, like every meal. Like I'm a bit of a yeah. I, I He's am. got a Food Network executive following him with a camera constantly. <laughs> he eats he never, the, the fork backwards. Like he has to like, taste everything first, comment on it. Do we have to talk about my time on the sensory panel again? <laughs> <laughs> I can taste things, buddy. You Do you have that? My, I wanted to do a game show like that with um, – the, Teresa's unbelievable at that, my wife. She's unbelievable at diagnosing what is in. You know how they have that challenge sometimes on like Top Chef, or whatever. Like they have to figure out mystery, what, uh, what ingredients are in it. Right. Right. She's and like, really, right. really good. At that. And they're like tamarind. How did you know <laughs> right. tamarind was in there? Right. <laughs> Tarragon twice. Right. <laughs> like Teresa plays that game when we go out to eat, and and it's it's it always starts the same way. It always starts with a. <laughs> she'll take a taste. And there's a particular face that she makes, and it's the I can't quite pin down what this is. I'm a little upset. There's like a there's like this face of like what could it be? I don't know. Wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. Coriander. Does she and does she not <laughs> like to be faced with mystery food? Like if she can't peg what's in it, is she uncomfortable? 
I don't know about uncomfortable, but she really, I mean, it will it will put dinner on on a, on hold until she figures it out. <laughs> Nobody bites till I figure yeah. out what this is. Put your fork down. Speaking of which, have, have either of you uh, have either of you been victimized by the passing mashed cauliflower off as mashed potatoes? <laughs> victimized. I love that. That's a little strong. Whether you like it or not, have have you ever been served a plate of what you believe to be mashed potatoes? Is this a con game to you? You've been conned. <laughs> only, only to find out after you. I feel like I'm talking to my son. Right. Dad, oh, this is not mashed potatoes, Dad. Reading cauliflower. So it's a long con. Has this, has this one Allison's been trying to pull off for like 14 years? <laughs> I mean, it's a one-time thing. Because right away, it doesn't, it, you, you know this is, not, this is not what I'm expecting. What's going on here? Well, they're, they're lighter. They're frothier. It's very good. See, you're consistently, you're constantly on a Food Network show. That's not true. I was doing this before Food Network, man. Look how quickly you had that adjective. Frothier. Frothier. Perfectly descriptive, and you know it. (laughs) I immediately knew exactly what you were talking about. Yes, they are. I sometimes like to write poetry. (laughs) It's good to have a a word at your disposal. Uh, What are you, smart or something? I um I have never been a victim of the uh, the cauliflower con as it were. Just just uh, keep your head on a swivel. <laughs> keep your card up. You never know when they could get you with uh, turkey sausage when you're expecting the. <laughs> hey, what? you know you know what I what had brought to my are you place going last to? week. Why why my kitchen? <laughs> why, why are all the why are all the restaurants you visit trying to pull one over on you? What I'm do with the, How about no, grilled my own romaine home. lettuce? Have you ever had grilled romaine lettuce? Go on. That was that was brought to me <laughs> just, I'm interested. just last week. I a ordered romaine a, lettuce. Yes, I ordered a, what I thought the menu said was a grilled chicken Caesar salad. <laughs> what I got was a <laughs> chicken Caesar grilled salad, <laughs> which is it's a thing. The grilled was in the, the wrong ro- place. Yes, they take the romaine lettuce and they char it. And, the chicken and is then wrong. they serve the, <laughs> they serve the chicken, obviously cooked chicken, on the side. It's crazy and it's so good. Charred lettuce. You'd n- you'd never think of it. No, this, it sounds great. This brings me to one of my favorite I watch all these cooking shows, especially Top Chef, and this brings me to one of my favorite um you know, modern, in vogue cooking terms, the deconstructed grilled oh, chicken yeah. Caesar salad. That's what this sounds like. This sounds like a deconstructed. What is that? I've does been that buying mean they separated the dishes recently. What'd you do? I, I've bought things on, on the understanding that it was a deconstructed such and such. Like you, I had a, I like had a de- home furnishings. I, no, no, no. I, I, well, I had this salad like you're, like you're talking about. That was sort of a deconstructed thing. And I bought a deconstructed gyro from a Turkish restaurant. <laughs> now, how did that happen? What happened well, there? Basically, I mean, basically, what is deconstructed? They take all the ingredients, they don't put it together for you, and they put them in little piles on the plate. And for some reason, you're fascinated with it. 
But that's not that's, right. That's but all that's it was. Not, but that's it was not a model a kit, and I had to build the model at the table. Okay, kid, make your own gyro. <laughs> gyro kit. Build your own gyro. <laughs> a very popular toy. Very popular right. toy in Greece, by the way. But hugely yeah, popular. There was some lamb over here. There was some tzatziki <laughs> thing over here. There was a cool kind of bread over there. And you kind of mushed it all together yourself, and you were like, oh, it's wonderful. Did you get the version that comes with a timer? <laughs> like the game Otherwise it, pop, it, it pops off the plate into your face. <laughs> You've got 30 seconds to, to construct the gyro. <laughs> And that's perfection. Or watch out. Okay, I now officially want to start a restaurant <laughs> where, where this is the concept. Bring a load of plates. If you don't get it done, the whole that's table way, goes up. That's a quick way to turn over the table. You could get like five <laughs> seatings in a night if you do that. That's pretty good. I think we're on to something. I think we're on to something here. That's fantastic. And the great thing is, like, you're responsible for the whole table. And it's really, it's just a plastic timer. The, the waiter comes out and just goes, turns it, and you hear the... I think you should push the table down, like we did with perfection. Put the plates on the table, and then you push the whole table down. And then you have to just you have to finish your meal before the the table. And then pops everybody up. everybody has thirty seconds to construct the dish to reconstruct. <laughs> and if you get that, then you have twenty five minutes to eat the meal. Otherwise, the whole thing pops up. That's yeah, I'm envisioning like a Benihana with everybody sitting at the same table. I'm I'm just always envisioning a Benihana. Like str- like strangers. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You no, know, it's got to be strangers because the pressure has to be on. Maybe that maybe we make like a, a table captain. Now it's no. turning into a game of Survivor. <laughs> <laughs> have Have you been to uh, Bobby Flay's Burger Palace where everybody sits at the same table? No, I've been to Bobby's Burger. Is that the same one? Bobby's, Bobby's, Bobby's Burger Bobby's Palace, Burger Palace is, is a Bobby Flay thing. Yeah. Yeah, I've been to that. Do, do they have the big community table at yours? They do. Um, it's not like a it's not like a banquet table that everybody sits at. It's more like a round, almost almost bar like, bar like. Yeah, like an elevator. So they're all table. sitting in one direction, facing nothing. <laughs> they're facing the other side of the counter, which is where the workers are. Oh, I see. The workers. Okay. What is this problem? <laughs> no, no. We we have a uh, one with a grand I'm, banquet uh, table. And and people don't know what to do. Nobody knows like what to the, do. Yeah, the first timers walk in and they're like, "I'm looking for a table, but it's all one table." <laughs> Is that the only table in the place? It's just there's, one well, there's long one table. That, there's one long thirty foot table that's straight, and then next to it there's a curvy table. Okay. That's you what know, do you, who do you have here. to know to get at the at the curvy table? The curvy table's always gone. I've never gotten a seat there. I'm just, I'm not VIP. quick and not cool enough. You have to know Bobby Flay. Hey, I do know Bobby Flay. Yeah? Yes, I work for him. Oh, well, then I'm sure you could get a seat That's at the curvy table. He doesn't know who I am. It was 17 years ago. What if you walked in with your resume and handed it to the waiter and you said, yeah, right here. 
I worked with Bobby Flay. So Mesa City, 1997. This is before he was Bobby Flay. That's correct. That restaurant doesn't exist anymore either. Did they that was, serve he, deconstructed anything? He did. He uh, he deconstructed the quesadilla. I will say this about working at a Bobby <laughs> Flay restaurant. The quesadilla is a tortilla and cheese. That's <laughs> right. Deconstruct that. You gotta unmelt it. You gotta unmelt it. You gotta. You gotta they give throw you a, in a, blo- a block of cheese teaser. and a cracker. <laughs> yeah. I, I'll tell you this much: best employee meals, staff meals ever. Oh man, I'll bet. Sure. We used to, we, di- we didn't eat for weeks. You didn't need to. Of course, we were all poor, struggling actors at that time too. But still. That was that was half the reason to work at the joint. Was the, the employee meals were magnificent. Staff meal, oh goodness. Then he'd bring out the specials. I tell you what, you say whatever you want about that guy, he can cook. Holy mackerel! What else would you say? What do people say? What are you talking about? <laughs> say, say what you want about the guy. How do we feel about that? Well, he may be a cheapskate, uh, but he could he can cook. Say what you want he about the guy. His wait a minute, but he can cook. <laughs> so, wait a minute. So you just gave me license to say anything I want about the guy, as long as you <laughs> acknowledge that he could cook. That's right. True or untrue, it doesn't make a difference. Doesn't matter. <laughs> that guy hates dogs, but he sure can cook. He has a third <laughs> testicle. A man cheats at cards, but he sure. <laughs> but can he cook. can cook. Say what you want about him. <laughs> he smells. <laughs> of mushrooms and not good ones. <laughs> but then I have, sh- you don't even have to say say what you want about him. You shorten it to say what you want. Now right. you've opened it up to <laughs> say what you want. Anything. And tag it. <laughs> right? Say <laughs> Whatever you want to say. was actually a pretty good car. But you know Bobby Flake <laughs> <laughs> We'll accept that. Nixon was a fantastic Stratego, Stratego foreign was a really policy game president. And didn't get his due. <laughs> and also, Stratego was great. Stratego was fantastic. I love Stratego. But Bobby Flay, can he cook? cook? Look, say what you want. But Bobby Flay remember can cook. Do you remember Yan can cook? And so can you. On Channel Thirteen. Now, Jan, was it Jan can cook or Yan? Yan. I thought it was Yan can. I think you're, I think you're saying that wrong. Jan if Jan, Jan, Jan can, can cook? If Jan can cook, I gotta look this up. Jack can cook. <laughs> <laughs> what? I don't remember that one. If Jack can cook, so can you cook, Jack Kent. <laughs> rest in peace. Hey, sorry, was he a friend of yours? My bad. Forget I brought it up. It, it's, uh, it's, it's, it, Master Chef, Master Chef Martin Yan. Yan, Yan or Yan? I think it's pronounced Yan. You're probably right. Well, I'm trying go. to think of who I worked for. I worked for a catering company in Los Angeles for a while, and it was a famous sort of like celebrity chef. But it was again before like Food Network was huge. This would be about, a like, lot of time in the food industry that I didn't know about. Well, I was a struggling actor. What else? What else do you do? Did you work at a packing plant too? I did not work at a packing plant. Was it Guy Fieri? Egg factory? Guy Fieri. It was another Asian um, Asian cook, a very famous... Tommy Tang? that sound right? 
No. Tom, Tommy Chong. I better Tommy not Tang. say anything here. Yeah, it was Tommy Tang. I work for I work for Tommy Tang. Is that the guy who who sells the uh, the big famous sauce at Costco? That's right. Oh my God! That's the guy. I I made the sauce. That was you me. I was in on that. I was in on that. Look, say what you want about Tommy, <laughs> about <laughs> I about Tommy Tang sauce. Bobby Flake and Cook. That's right. <laughs> Wait a minute, brother. That sauce right. is We're, incredible. That Costco sleep. is a ripoff. Oh no! And, and Bobby Flay can cook. And Bobby Flay's not such a great cook. Whoa, 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 whoa! Now we're off the rails. I can't. I can't get away with that. No. I gotta no. tell you, Bobby's Burgers Palace. Those are the best hamburgers I've had in years. Bobby's Burger Palace. Yes. He's they out have of his mind. Crunch Burger. Have you tried the Crunch Burger? Children won't stop with the Crunch Burger. Steve, do you know what the Crunch Burger is? Uh, no. Take a guess. Nestle's Crunch Bar Burger. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he was fired from Mesa. Be serious for Excuse a me, second, where, What have you put on my, my, my salad? That's Hershey's Kisses. <laughs> if, you need, if you wanted to get a crunch out of a hamburger, what would you put on top of a hamburger? Uh, a tortilla chip. A potato chip. A potato chip, okay. You put potato chips on, on the I said on a tortilla the... chip. You make it sound as if I right. said so, a... Yeah, maybe in L.A. you'd put a tortilla chip on the burger. <laughs> That's make right. It, make it sound as if I said a, a Ford freaking F-150. That's you were Chevy. putting on airs with your tortilla chip. I was putting on airs. <laughs> it's very your good. L.A. airs. I do put on airs a lot. Probably oh. my favorite thing about that idea of putting on airs with L.A. and food. I'll never forget when I first moved there. Like my uncles were like, "Oh, you're going to be eating all sorts of alfalfa sprouts now," and you know, <laughs> like, "Oh, I guess somebody's somebody's going to be eating all healthy." And like you drive into L.A. and the first eight things you see are mom Eat and pop burger, right? Are mom and pop donut shops and fat burger. Oh, fat burger. And that's the first thing you see. There are more mom-and-pop donut shops and mom-and-pop. There is more bad food for you in L.A. than you could possibly find in New York. It's the home of Fat Burger, everybody. Fat Burger. Some of those sprouts. So, I, yeah, I wasn't, uh, oh, I guess somebody's going to have, uh, you know, cucumbers on every sandwich, I guess, now. <laughs> no, I'm going to go to... I'm going to go to Fat Burger and have a Fat Burger animal style. With a cucumber on it. Which is a real thing. Animal style? Uh, get an uh, animal style. I don't want to know. It's, no. it's a thing. Okay. Look, say what you want. But animal style is a thing. And it's real that's, and that's, it's happening. No, no, no. That's oh, scary it, to me. It goes like this. Animal <laughs> style is a thing. And, and Bobby Flay can cook. My bad. I'm so confused. All right, we should wrap this up because I'm completely out of voice. So that was the fun load, everyone. <laughs> Crunch burger, everyone. For want of a better one, sure. I don't know if anybody if, if there re- was there really one PJ was did you have one or? I was going to start a rant on movie critics, but that can wait for any week. We can always do that. That can happen. Suffice it to say that Jeffrey Lyons is a jerk. I was, wow! And I, I will say, slap his face. I did not see that coming. I would think it's any coming. rant 
any rants about movie critics would have to start with Rex Reed. And end with Rex Reed, my friend. <laughs> I think it depends on the company. The company that you keep or the company Some that you work Some people don't for? care to talk about Rex Reed. Or the company you're in. Some people are too young for Rex Reed. No, we, we, we are not too. We'll talk Rex Reed. All right? Well, maybe Please next time, the, then. Who's your, give me your top two movie critics, then. Top two? Top two. Well, we, well, now we you're killing my fun load. Oh, I'm sorry. Fun load's over. He ruined it. <laughs> fun, load ended. fun load ended. Ruiner. Say what you want about Bobby Flay, but Steve <laughs> kills my fun load week after week. Let me get right to the punchline so that PJ can't talk. Beef ended. Okay. <laughs> Let's get, where's the outro? Two, where's the outro? Two best, two, two best movie critics for me are uh, the late Roger Ebert. Really? Yeah, I, I agree a lot with him. So you're you're not this is not too best looking then. Uh, no. <laughs> no, wow, that's a whole other thing then. That's we may Gene have to rewrite this second. <laughs> and Kitty Kelly. <laughs> Everyone needs a Kitty Kelly. Good night, everybody. This is your two best <laughs> No music or nothing. <laughs> We're out. We're just, that's we're a cold it down. That's a cold <laughs> close, right. There's a cold open and there's an ice cold Arctic close. And that was it. <laughs> Kitty Kelly and Gene Shallot. Show over. Wait, who's your who's your other one? Um uh, oh I lost it. See, now we really do have to come back. You lost him? I lost it. Oh. I like Elvis Mitchell. <laughs> I can't never heard of him. <laughs> you, made that up. you know who I always the, liked as a the kid? The would have gone very well. Oh, and 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 uh, because because I got to meet him and he was really cool. Uh, Joel Siegel. Joel Siegel. Oh yeah, he's on my Delayed. list. Delayed Joel Siegel. Are they all dead? Jeffrey Hines <laughs> is the only one left. Well, that's where I was going with it. Is are they necessary anymore? First of all, and they're not even critiquing movies anymore anyway. They're just complaining about them. Sort of lost they? luster. <laughs> they're just sort of bitchy. <laughs> yeah. Sort of whiny. Just, nah. they're, they're, it's like a financial report. They're just like, save your money. Yeah. <laughs> really? Is that all the substance I'm getting out of you? <laughs> save your money. Save your money. That's it? That's your big review? Your big review is, is, is your concern, that concern with my wallet? Really? <laughs> the Dave. Jeffrey Lyons review was, was, you know, something like, moviegoers may want to wait for the DVD on this one. Stop it. You know what it takes about 400 people to make a movie, and you just dismissed it out of hand? Why not talk <laughs> about it for a second? Gravity, whatever. <laughs> I went to see Las Vegas I mean, this week. I'll tell you what, that's the last time I go to see that movie. <laughs> whiny. This is terrible. <laughs> Shallot. I'm Shallot. And Shallot. <laughs> All right. PJ, final number. Oh. You go to Bobby's no. Burger Palace. You get the burger 
not on the bun. Get it on mixed greens and get it with goat cheese and watercress. You will yeah, then okay. go to California. Why don't you move to California? <laughs> it's delicious. Say what you want. It's delicious. <laughs> Cal, final on those. As if, as if I wasn't feeling old enough already. To be eligible for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, your album, your first album had to have been released 25 years ago, okay? Eligible this year for the Hall of Fame, Nirvana. Yeah. Old. <laughs> Say what you want, you're old. Cal. Old. Cal. Old. Cal out. Cal and, old and out. My final unload is also musical. Uh, ten years ago this week, we lost one of my favorite artists, and uh, there has not been a day that has gone by in those ten years where I haven't listened to, probably if not, listened to one of his songs. So uh, we certainly, those who really liked him, certainly miss Elliot Smith quite a bit, and um, really would have been interested to see what Elliot Smith would have been doing these days. So. Uh, that's my that's my final unload. Sort of Miss Elliot Smith, but there's been some great stuff on him, and just reading about him again takes me back to a pretty interesting place in my twenties. That is all the time we have. We will talk to you next week. Got for the app, okay? It's going to revolutionize. Good night, Cal. Good night, Steve. Good night, the Bishop. Good night to the Bishop as well. Say what you want about him. Say what you want. He can cook.